this podcast is for Miss Williams' American Government class, Fall Semester 2020. The topic for today's podcast is Unit 3 and 4, which expressly talks about the powers of the Constitution of the United States. So the notes specifically start with the six main principles of the Constitution popular sovereignty, limited government, separation of power, checks and balances, judicial review, and federalism. These all are very specific ideas that were taken by the framers of the Constitution from theory and then put into practice. Popular sovereignty is the most easy to understand idea because it ties very closely in with the social contract and the idea that people are the source of the government's power. Without people agreeing to let the government do its job and the government treating people and protecting them the way they're supposed to, you don't get a government that works. That is the concept behind popular sovereignty the ability of people to run themselves with the government that they create. The second main principle of the Constitution is limited government. This is something that we've addressed uh, both in the past and again in the Constitution. It was first brought through in 1215 with the Magna Carta that forced King John in England to agree that his power as a king was not without consequences and that he needed the consent of the people he ruled in order to continue being king. Limited government is a limit specifically on the government itself. It's a set of rules. This is the go- what the government can't do. This is what the government can do. And it also involves a protection of the rights of individuals. And this is a pretty critical piece in understanding how the Constitution of the United States works. The next principle is separation of power. This one is easiest to see in the three branches of government, the executive, the legislative, and the judicial. The idea is that they operate independently, but they are all equal in their own right with the powers that they wield. You want to make sure that the national government or the federal government, as we'll refer to it repeatedly in these notes, is kept from getting too powerful. You don't want any one branch to gain too much power and be able to basically disband the other two. You don't want abuses of power. That's the key phrasing here. The fourth main principle of the Constitution is checks and balances which really plays back into the idea of separation of powers. You want to make sure that each branch has jobs, but they also tend to have overlapping jobs in order to check each other. Things like if the legislative branch makes a law, the executive branch has to enforce the law. So they have to agree to that law in the first place. And they can check the judicial branch, Um, There's a lot of pieces in there, rulings of the Supreme Court being one. So you have the legislative make the law, the executive enforces the law, 
But ultimately, if people object to the law, a case might end up before the Supreme Court stating this law is unconstitutional and here's the reasons. Checks and balances can also come in the form of a presidential veto. So if Congress passes a law, but the president refuses to sign it for whatever reason, um, and usually that reason becomes fairly obvious before the veto even comes down, it has to go back to Congress in order to be revamped. Checks and balances also has... Um, It's roots in the idea that Congress can impeach a federal official, so they can impeach judges, they can impeach the president. We know that the federal courts, along with the Supreme Court, can judge things unconstitutional and basically stop enforcing them. There's a great graphic about checks and balances that shows how each branch can check the other ones in your unit three and four slideshow. It's slide number 13. Uh, And it's a really great visual if you need it. The next big principle of the Constitution is judicial review, which is something we've really already talked about. It ties into checks and balances and also separation of power in that the courts have the ability to determine whether something is constitutional or not. One of the best examples would be the Alien and Sedition Act of 1917, which made it illegal for people to criticize the government in public but that was seen as a limit on freedom of speech and ultimately that law was repealed. The last main principle of the constitution is federalism. And federalism is the idea that the national government and the state government operate independently, but they have to also be able to work together. And uh, again, in your notes, there's another great graphic on who has the power on slide 16. And there is a good graphic in the module for Monday 1116 as well. Power is defined in the Constitution for the government are uh, expressed powers. That means that these powers are put specifically in the Constitution. It's spelled out. This is what you can do. These are also known as enumerated powers, meaning that they're numbered. Um, So expressed or enumerated powers are basically the jobs that the national government can do that are spelled out in the Constitution. Expressed powers can include things like being able to coin money, raising troops for defense of the nation, uh, the ability to tax people. So those are expressed powers. The next kind of powers defined in the Constitution are implied powers. They're not specifically written about, but you can assume that the government has the right to do that particular job. Uh, Implied powers are found in phrases that don't spell out exactly what they mean, but have an implication. So implied powers are things like establishing justice. That could mean a lot of different things. Ensuring domestic tranquility, promoting general welfare, All of these things imply what could be done, but don't expressly state them. The next kind of power defined in the Constitution are inherent powers. These are powers that you can assume the Constitution grants the government as a sovereign country. So things like dealing with other nations in crisis, other inherent powers might be regulating immigration, so people coming into the country. 
um, acquiring territory, making sure that laws are being followed, conducting diplomacy with other countries. All of those things aren't necessarily spelled out, but they're presumed that the government will do them because that's what makes the most sense. There are also, on the flip side, denied powers. The Constitution specifically states the U.S. government is not allowed to do certain things. Examples of denied powers, because again, you think you're thinking, well, the government should be able to do whatever, but the federal government is not allowed to violate the Bill of Rights or the amendments. They can't change state boundaries, so you can't go to the governor of the state of Missouri, for example, and say, you know what, I don't like the shape of your state. I'm going to change it. Yeah, they can't do that. Um, they can't use money without approval. So if, for example, they're like, we want to spend our tax money on this, that thing, that kind of thing has to be approved. Other denied powers are things like being able to, you can't enter into foreign treaties or print money or suspend a person's rights without due process. The government can't grant titles of nobility. Okay, you can't deny a citizen's right to vote on the base of race or gender. These are all things that are specifically stated in amendments. Uh, the government also can't suspend your right to a fair trial, your habeas corpus rights. The other part is going to be reserved powers. So, right, we've got, so far we've got expressed powers, something specifically listed in the Constitution, implied powers, things that are stated but very generic, inherent powers, things that we assume that the country is going to do because that's its job at the national level, denied powers, things that the government is absolutely not allowed to do. And then we have reserved powers. These are things that are specifically saved for the states to be able to do. Uh, this is laid out in the 10th Amendment. Things like marriage laws, traffic laws, gambling laws, health codes, things of that nature are all reserved for the states. Specifically stuff like health codes becomes very relevant right now in 2020 because the coronavirus would fall under the purview of health codes. Those things can be and are regulated by the state, which means at the national level, the government can encourage states to do certain things. Um, they could even uh, apply some sort of penalty if they don't. But again, those rights are reserved for the states themselves, which is why every state has different rules and regulations about the coronavirus. You also have concurrent powers, things that both the federal government and state governments can do, things like building roads and paying taxes. But ultimately, that leads us to the Supremacy Clause, which specifically states that the Constitution is the law of the land and that states have to follow the lead of the federal government. They can't make a law that contradicts the federal government. It also means that the U.S. government and the Supreme Court can settle conflicts between states. There's only two ways to change the Constitution. Um, you have to have an amendment issued, and that has to be ratified by Congress by a two-thirds majority. That's a lot of people. And three-fourths majority in the states. That's why some amendments don't get passed, like, for example, the Equal Rights Amendment or the ERA 
uh, has not made it through all of the states it needs to in order to become Amendment 28. The first, second, and third articles in the Constitution define all of these ideas around checks and balances and federalism. 